0: to be with you this morning. My name is Wes McCain. I'm the senior pastor here at Cross Point Baptist Church. I want to again thank you for joining us as we worship and serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, would you please turn to the book of Exodus? And we'll be in Exodus 28 this morning. Exodus 28. And be looking at the entire chapter of Exodus 28 and a little bit of Exodus 39 as well. As we've seen, there's details on both sides of this thing uh, concerning Instructions about the tabernacle and what we'll see today. Instructions about the priestly garments. And so, once you've found your place in Exodus 28, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> it says this, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill. They may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother and his sons to serve me as priest. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be one piece of, with it, of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signet, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings." You shall make a breastpiece breast of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and double, to span its length, and to span its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones, a robe of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, sapphire, and diamond, and the third row a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst and the fourth row a barrel, and onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There, are, there shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree, and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in the front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, as its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod of of blue, and it shall be, have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts." It shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat and checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen. You shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priest. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear the guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that your word continues to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces, God, joints and marrow. God, and we even say that about Exodus 28 right now, the priestly garments, and that God, it is through your word that you expose all, God, and that we will have to stand and give an account to you. So I pray this morning as we dive in, as we think more deeply about your word, that God, By Your Spirit, You would guide us into all truth. That, God, You would expose and bring to the forefront of our minds sin that we need to repent of. And that, God, we would ultimately, Your Word would encourage us, run to Christ, flee to Him, our only refuge and rock and safety in times of trouble. Lord, we love You. We thank You. Be with us now as we study Your Word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You you may have asked this question on many different occasions when you've been uh, invited somewhere, but that question that you ask your friend when you get invited to go somewhere is this. What do I wear? Anybody ever ask that question? What do I wear? I want to look cute. You know, I, want to, I want to wear the right stuff. You know, I, want to, I want to make sure. You, know. you want to make sure what you're getting into, right? You don't, want to, you don't want to wear a dress or a tuxedo when you're going on a hiking trip, right? So you ask the question, what do I wear? What, 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 what are we going to be doing? Because you want to be properly dressed for the event and the activities that are going to ensue. And Exodus 28 is all about the proper attire. It's all about what you should wear. What does the occasion call for in dress? Because in Exodus 28, it's all about the proper attire for Aaron's line, who is going to serve God as his priest in the tabernacle, right? And even in the temple. And so this morning, that is all that we're going to look at, is the clothing of the priest, right? We're going to look at four different points from this that I think the priestly clothing is, uh, is, is giving to tell us about God and about the worship of God. The first thing that we learn in this, just in verse 1, is this. Is that God assigns, He assigns the role of priest to Aaron's line. This is just in verse 1. When He says, "...Bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel." to serve me as priest. That's God calling out a specific line to take on a specific role. And if you remember from our study of Exodus, everybody in Israel was called to be a priest, if you remember that in Exodus 19.6. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everybody in Israel was supposed to be a priest, right? Well, what happened? Why ain't they all priests? Why is only Aaron's line priest? priest? Well, you remember at the end of Exodus 20, when God invites them, come up the mountain. They've seen the lightning and the thunder. They've gotten the Ten Commandments. And God says, come up to the mountain. They say, no, we ain't going up there. That is terrifying up there. We, we ain't going nowhere. Moses, you go up there for us, right? And so they basically refuse to be priests. They refuse to go to have access with God. And they say, we don't want to be priests. We want you to be a priest for us, Moses. That's what happens in Exodus 20, 18 through 19. And so what Israel becomes is not a kingdom of priests. They become a kingdom with priests. Do you see the distinction there just in a preposition? A kingdom of priests means everybody's to be a priest in Israel. Everybody is to be holy unto the Lord. But now they are basically, they are playing default and saying, we don't want to be priests. We want somebody to. Before us, and so the Lord assigns this role to a specific group of people here. This priesthood is to the line of Aaron, and this line of Aaron is receiving a divine assignment on behalf of the Lord, not on behalf of the people. They've been given a divine assignment and clearance to do this, what they're, the duties that they're given and responsibilities. They've been given a unique position by the Lord. And what you'll hear, what we've read over in Exodus 20 all over, is that they're being assigned a task to serve me as priest, to serve the Lord as priest, the priesthood, right? And so Aaron's line has been given a divine assignment, and they've been given clearance, right? If you don't have clearance, you can't go into the tabernacle, right? It's just like anybody else. Security clearance, right? Authorized personnel only. I've told y'all about this. When I go into hospitals and when I go into any like government buildings and I th- see authorized personnel only or I see, you know, security clearance only, doesn't that tempt you? What's behind the door? I want to go in there. I want to go behind there. But you know what happened if I don't? If I do, you'd see me on the front page of The Advocate, right? And nobody wants that pastor, right? And so, but you're tempted to go in there. But only authorized personnel can go in there. Only so certain people can go behind the door. And so when God establishes the priesthood for Aaron's line, He says, this group, they have authorized personnel only. They have been given the security clearance. They can enter into the tabernacle. They are the line. They are the priesthood. And so they've been given a divine assignment, and they've been given clearance to do so in this unique position. The role of the priesthood is really important in Israel. It's really important in their life and their worship. This is now, it's through the priest, the priesthood of Aaron, is how Israel now communes with God. It's how they worship God. It's through a priest. They worship with sacrifice via a priest. They bring their offering to a priest to the altar. He goes into the holy place. He goes into the most holy place on their behalf. And so it's now that they worship via the priesthood. Andrew Malone says this really good about how vital the priesthood is and what their role is in the life of Israel. He says this, The priests communicate the standards of holiness that God expects and facilitates that holiness through the sacrificial system. The result is successful reconciliation of humanity to God, no matter how partial and fleeting that contact is under the Old covenant. The priest is in every way an intermediary. The priest's own goal is to bring God and people together. And as far as they remain estranged, he aims to be translucent translucent as possible as he mirrors the two parties to each other. So you see the role of the priest in that? God to the people and the people to God. They stand in between here. And so this is how God prescribes their worship now for Israel. It's that it's through the priesthood, and He has established and assigned the priesthood to Aaron's line. These are God's prescriptions for worship. And these prescriptions cannot be purchased, cannot be negotiated, cannot be ignored, cannot be bypassed. They can't go around the priesthood and do whatever they want, saying, you know what, let's cut out the middleman, and we'll go into the tabernacle, and we'll offer the offerings and the sacrifices and things like that. No. No. That God has prescribed this means and mechanism of worship. And it's been appointed by him. And this is God's prescription for their worship. And they don't get to decide who and how they will worship. You see this through the Bible. People trying to bypass the means that God has established to worship. You remember Saul. This was Saul's downfall in 1 Samuel 13. Is that he got tired of waiting, right, on Samuel. And anybody remember what he did? He went ahead and offered the sacrifices and the offerings himself. Why is that a problem? Saul's not a priest. Can't do that. Same thing that we saw last week with Ahaz in 2 Kings 16. Not only did he remove the bronze altar that God had prescribed, not only did he basically build a new altar from a pagan altar, but then he starts offering sacrifices and offerings and incense on that altar. Again, that's a no-no, right? Right? Because why? He's not a priest. You see this same thing in 2 in Chronicles with Uzziah. He's like, you know what? I'm taking this thing into my own hands. So he grabs the censer. He starts burning incense on the altar. And the priest all runs like, dude, stop. You, you cannot do this. You are a king. We are the priest. That's our role and responsibility that God has given us. You don't get to bypass that. Well, Uzziah didn't care, and he still did it. And guess what? He died that day. He caught leprosy in his hands by just holding the censer. And so Israel doesn't get to bypass the priesthood. They don't get to take it into their own hands. They don't get to do worship their own way, right? Because God has commanded worship, and he's prescribed how it's to be conducted in Israel. And look, God is not looking for innovation. He's not looking for imagination, He's not looking for creativity. He's not looking for cleverness, ingenuity, or inventiveness in worship. He's looking for obedience in our worship. That's what he's looking for in church. I, unfortunately, in churches today, I think that there's a lot of churches in our world and in our, you know, in our country who claim to be Christian, who claim to follow Christ, but they think their greatest goal is to be imaginative in worship, to create their own means and mechanisms for how they're going to worship God. You know, I, I've heard of a church, and I'm not trying to, like, throw churches under the bus here. I, I don't do everything right, but, you know, a church like, hey, we're going to watch movies on Sunday mornings. We're going to watch movies, and then we'll talk a little bit about God afterwards. I, look, I, I think that's insane. I think it's insane, because that is not how God has prescribed us to worship. It's to watch movies. Look, we got movie theaters for that kind of stuff. And they're doing a pretty good job at it. Right? No. God has not called us for cleverness, for ingenuity, for inventiveness. He's called us to obedience to the things that He's prescribed for worship. So church, listen to this. We worship the triune God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship Him through the proclamation of the Word, through the prayer and fellowship of the saints through singing together, through taking the Lord's Supper and baptism together. Those are the means and mechanisms that God has prescribed for our worship. And that's what we do. That's how we worship God, right? And if these are not satisfying to us or fulfilling us, then innovation is not required. And I think that's what's become a problem sometimes in worship places like, you know what? We're not getting everything. I'm not getting the feeling that, you know. We got prayer and we got fellowship and we got singing together and we got proclamation of the word. It's just not fulfilling me. It's not satisfying me. It's not giving me what I need. So let's try something cool and innovative, right? If that's where we've gotten to in the church and in our means of worship and mechanisms, look, if these are not satisfying what we do, what's been prescribed, it's not not satisfying fulfilling us, then innovation is not required. Repentances. Repentances. If the means that God has given us to worship him, if we say, leave," these are boring. I'm so tired of worshiping God this way. Then what's needed is not innovation. It's our repentance. God has prescribed how we're to worship. That's the best way to worship, and it needs no innovation. And more importantly is that Israel does worship through a mediator. They do worship through a priest. Praise God. We don't have to worship through a priest. You don't have to go to a priest to confess your sins. You can go directly to God on your behalf. And you know why you can do that? Because you have Christ, who is the high priest and mediator of a new covenant, a perfect covenant, a better covenant. Listen, church, we don't need a mediator. We don't need a mediatrix. We don't need an intermediary. We need Christ. Christ. 1 Timothy two, five through 6 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He's who we need. He is our mediator. And so this is how God has prescribed our worship. Is that we go to God now on Sunday mornings as we join together to sing together, pray together, fellowship. Hear God's word together. We go to God through one mediator who mediates for us this morning. The man Christ Jesus. That is him. And so God has appointed the means and mechanisms and, and instruments for our worship. The priesthood, that's the prescription for Israel's worship. Their role is to serve Him. But that's not the only role and the only people gifted in worship here. He's also gifted others in Israel to serve Him in different roles and capacities. And this is point number two. God assigns skilled and Spirit-filled Israelites to make holy priestly garments. You know, many of you, I don't know, you probably noticed about me, but I'm pretty uh, hip on the trends nowadays. Fashion trends, I'm up there. Uh, You know, Gucci and Ralph Lauren, Prada, uh, Louis Vuitton, Calvin Klein, been called by them to be a model, but turned it down for this job. You know, my favorite designer brand is Costco right now, selling great stuff. And so I had to Google all those just FYI. You know, famous designer brands. Well, why do people buy those brands? It's because they look nice, they're well done, they fit well, they good material. The designers who've made them are, are seem to be really smart and know what they're doing, and just they make a good product. The quality and skill is in the material itself. And, and I would say this, it does matter who makes the clothing, right? And the same thing is with the priestly garments that are made here. It matters who is designing and making the material, and that's why God tells us about them in Exodus 28, right? is that the next two chapters, Exodus 28 and 29 and the following, it does spend a lot of time on the priesthood. We do learn a lot about the priest and what they do. But we're also introduced to people who are constructing the tabernacle and creating and designing the garments of those who will enter into the tabernacle. Who are these people? Well, if you look here, just in the first first. Couple of verses, look at verse three, 3. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments. So these people are described as people with skill who've been filled with a spirit of skill to do what they've been called to do. The builders and the clothing designers are given skills by God to prepare a place and the people for worship. If you would turn with your Bibles just two chapters over to chapter 31. And we've looked at this before, these two particular people. But just look at verses 1 through 11, when we're talking about Aholiab and Bezalel. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to Devise the artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him a holy ad, the son of Ahimesac, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all the able men ability that they may... Make all that I commanded you the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and all its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stands, and the fine Worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron priest and the garments of his sons for the service as priest, and the anointing oil and the fragrant, the incense of the holy place, according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. These people have been given spirit of skill, of will, understanding, and knowledge to take part in the building of the tabernacle and preparing the priests to enter into that tabernacle. God has gifted them with skills, and they are using it to bring God glory in the construction of the tabernacle, these people. Look over in, verse, in chapter 35 real quick. Similar things are said about these people, starting in verse 30 of chapter 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. Listen to all these things. And then go into chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. You can turn back to Exodus 28. But these are the people who are designing the garments for the priest. God has given them skills, He's given them gifts, talents to take part in building God's holy dwelling place. This is them. And they're doing this in such a way that they're they're designing and creating good products and garments that are described in verse 4 and in verse verse 40 and verse 2 as beautiful and glorious. That's what he says. Listen to this. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. The gloriousness and the beauty of these garments are going to distinguish the priests, right? They're going to look different from everybody else. It's going to make sure that they are distinguished between the rest of the Israelites and also the priesthood. But not only does it distinguish them among Israel, but it also reflects the character and nature of who God is. I mean, we can certainly say in the Bible that God is glorious, right? I mean, all over the Bible, God is glorious. There's none like Him. But also, God is beautiful, you remember in Psalm 27, 4? One thing I have asked, Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. And so there's something about going to the tabernacle to see the beauty of God and that these garments are beautiful and glorious because the God in whom they represent is beautiful and glorious. And so church, just as we think about these people who sometimes are given names, sometimes are not, but they're doing skilled work, they're doing work with intelligence and wisdom and the Spirit and understanding, all this language, filled Spirit, wisdom, understanding, these same gifts are given to believers in the church. But not to build a tabernacle, not to build a temple, but to build up the people of God. Listen to what Colossians 1, 9-10 says it's this. And so from the day we have heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to ma- walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. All that language is from Exodus. And Paul's saying, look, You have these things that Bezalel and Aholiab and those garment makers had. You have the spirit. You have wisdom. You have skill and understanding. And now, like they did with the tabernacle, you use all these things that God has given you to build up the new temple. That is the church, the people of the living God. That's it. God doesn't just use the priest, church. He uses the people that he is equipped to do his work. Church, let me just say this. God doesn't just use the pastor and the elders and the deacons to do ministry and do the work of the Lord. He uses the teacher, the firefighter. He uses school school employees, engineers, moms, dads, nurses, lawyers, everyone to do the work of ministry, to build up the church. It's not just the priest, and it's not just the pastor, and all are important. Every part is essential. Just as 1 Corinthians 12 says, is that we would be nowhere if we were just a bunch of ears in here. We'd be nowhere if we were just a bunch of noses, a bunch of arms. But no, God has gifted you and skilled you in certain ways. You may not think that they're as important as my job is, but let me tell you this, they are maybe even more important. Do not, do not disregard the gifts and skills that God has given you. And they are essential for the growth of the body here. And your gifts and skills can be used to reflect the nature and character of God, either accurately or inaccurately. Would somebody say, from how you are using your gifts and your skills, would somebody say, the God that they worship must be beautiful and glorious Because of what they do. Or are your skills and gifts being used that would lead somebody to say, man, I don't know what God they worship, but I don't want to worship Him. Is that sometimes we can use our gifts and skills in incorrect ways to bring us glory more than God glory. And what the gifts and skills are being used here in the the tabernacle and in the garments is that they're being used to bring honor and glory to God not ourselves? How are you using your gifts? And would others say that your God is glorious and beautiful because of how you use your gifts? Third point is that God conveys the significance of worship in the design of the priestly garments. Here's a, uh, here's a, life, uh, a life hack or a life principle that I've learned if you ever see somebody putting on a hazmat suit in your presence, it's a good time to run. Nobody's putting on hazmat suits for fun, right? When you see somebody putting on a hazmat suit, you know, okay, something serious has gone down, and I need to get as far away from this place as possible, right? The layers and the design and the features of hazmat suits just convey the seriousness of a situation, right? Right? And I would say this is the layers and the precision and the detail and the nuance and the specificity of the priestly garments communicates the seriousness of what is taking place in the tabernacle. The worship of the holy God. That's what's so serious. So let's look at a couple of these pieces here that they have to put on. You know, you look at the ephod. That's the first thing that's told that, that they're to make and put on. And it holds the two onyx stones. Onyx is a stone that you find back in Genesis 2.12. They put on the two onyx stones, and they, these onyx stones have the names of the sons of Israel engraved upon them. And these stones are set upon the shoulders of the ephod of the priest. It next moves into the breast piece, which is the, the piece that gets the most attention and detail in this chapter. And this is the item that you know, the, these twelve stones will be on, and these twelve stones will have the names of Israel on them. And then you have the robe, which holds the ephod. But it will also have uh, special bells on it that will be heard when the priest goes in and out of the holy place. We actually discussed this a couple weeks ago at our, at our home group, that they'll have these holy bells. And you see in verse 35 that they, ha- they have these holy bells. Why? That they may not die. They won't die. Then you have the turban or the headdress or crown kind of feature that engraved upon it on his forehead says, Holy to the Lord. And this is a reminder that the person who wears this is God's designated and approved servant of his holy place and representative of Israel. Then in verses 40 through 41, it's even giving details about the coats and the sashes and the caps that that Israel's sons are to wear. And Israel is to clothe them, to anoint them. Ordain them, consecrate them. And this is a sign that says that Israel recognizes that this is the means that they are going to worship God. It's kind of like a a hooding ceremony. You know, when you go to see somebody who gets their master's or their doctorate, you know, they come over and they put a hood on them, and everybody in the crowd and the person who does it is recognizing that an accomplishment has been made. This person is now a doctor or is now, uh, you know, has achieved a significant accomplishment. It's a recognition of those things. And so when Israel comes and they put the garments on these priests and they put the sashes and cloaks and turbans and all these things, it's their way of recognizing, hey, God has prescribed this and we are following it and we recognize that this is His prescription. We recognize the significance. God is even concerned with the holy undergarments in here. Stan Smith already told me he has holy undergarments too. I said, no visual, please. And so, do you see the, the, the features? are? God is so concerned, not just about the exterior, he's gone down to the underwear of the priest, right? He's gone down to that. Even those have specifics and nuances to them. God is even concerned with is what is underneath the priest's robe, and that his naked flesh would not be exposed. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, a few months ago in Exodus 20, uh, 26, that when a priest goes up on the altar, they need to be careful because their nakedness can profane the altar. And so God's saying, let's take care of that so that you don't profane the holy place. You are to wear undergarments. You're to wear undergarments. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, back in Genesis 1 and 2, nakedness in the garden, that was a feature of the garden, nakedness was. They were naked and not ashamed. But now, everybody is clothed now to enter God's presence you have to be clothed it's basically indicating the tabernacle is not the same as eden it's a picture of what is to come but it's not the same something's changed and that is sin god is clothing the priest so that they can enter into his presence and so the priestly garments aren't negotiable they can't be altered They are prescribed items that are necessary for the worship of God. To be accepted by the Lord. And most importantly, so that the priest doesn't die. Right? So God's very intentional about the details of the clothing that they are to wear. And the details convey that God takes the worship of Himself seriously. And that there is danger in treating God flippantly, absentmindedly, casually, disrespectfully. Douglas Stewart, this is a long quote, but I feel like I need to read this to you. It says this, the answer is that conscious faith is central to religious ritual. What we do is backed by what we believe. Right? The person who takes communion, the Lord's Supper, thinking that it's a snack during a worship service, does not renew in covenant obedience Christ's death until he comes, but rather just eats some food, in violation, of course, of the purpose of the ritual in 1 Corinthians 11. The person who participates in a ceremony of baptism, regarding it as a refreshing dip in a body of water, has not signified conversion to Christ or the reception of the Spirit, but has merely had an extremely truncated bath. The person who attends church merely to look pious has not truly worshipped, but has simply been present when other people did. In other words, a person's belief about what he or she is doing in a religious act is essential to the validity of that act. What they're doing when they put on their priestly garments is that they understand something serious is taking place. And that to do, to not basically follow the prescriptions that God has given and say, who cares, it's not that big a deal, you know. We can do it how we want. Nothing, nothing dangerous is going to happen. And I just wonder this, church. With all the warnings that we get here in Exodus if you don't do this, that could cause you to die, right? I do wonder if we took on a similar perspective when we come to gather for worship. I do wonder what our lives and worship would be. What would they be like if we prepared ourselves like the priest in mind and in heart? with a holy fear that believes if we do this flippantly, it could cost us our lives. I do wonder about that. If we took the same preparations in mind and heart as the priest did before entering the tabernacle, before we come to worship, and we believe that if we come in here flippantly and do this thing casually and watch movies and who cares, that it might cost us our lives. I think we would live differently and we would worship differently, right? Right? And so how do we prepare ourselves for worship? What attire do we wear for worshiping the holy God? Well, I'm not going to get up here and say, everybody needs to be in a tuxedo, everybody needs to wear a three-piece suit, dresses, everything like that, hats, all those things. I'm not talking about that attire for worship. Because you can look the nicest you can and still have the most unholiest of heart. How should we prepare our hearts for worship? Holiness. Holiness. Romans 13, 14 Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about gratifying the desires of flesh. Colossians 3, 13 through 17, it it has these two phrases, put off and put on. Basically, take off and put on, clothe yourself is the word there in Colossians 3. Take off sin, put it to death, get rid of it, get away from it, stop doing it. And then put on holiness and righteousness, love for one another, sing together, go hear God's word together, all those things. That's how we prepare ourselves for worship. That's how we prepare ourselves. By putting off sin, repenting of sin, saying yesterday's sin, I'm putting it to death. This morning I'm choosing Christ. I'm choosing to live like Christ this morning. That's how we prepare ourselves for worship. Are we all doing that this morning when we woke up? I can tell you that, I, that's not my every Sunday morning experience. That's how we prepare ourselves for worship, church. And a day is coming when Christ returns that we will be perfectly clothed in holiness and righteousness. And we will be perfectly ready with the correct attire for worship when we worship the Lamb of God all, forever and all eternity. Ze- Zechariah talks about this in Zechariah 14, verses 20 through 21. He says this really interesting word. He says, even the horses on that day when Christ returns will have holy to the Lord inscribed upon them. That means, it's the same words here in Exodus 28 saying, everybody is going to be ready to worship God when Christ returns. Everybody, are you ready? Have you put off sin? And have you put on the clothes of righteousness that is in Christ Jesus? Fourthly, God assigns responsibilities to the priests which are reflected in their garments. You know, uh, with military officers, you can tell a military officer by the insignia that they have, right? You can you can see what rank they hold, and it notifies those others who see them of what rank they hold. And when you have a rank, when you have a different rank, rank comes responsibilities, right? You know, the higher you go, the more responsibilities, the more oversight, the more task that you might be given, right? Special task, and this is what's happening with the priestly garments: is that When they put on all these things, they're saying, I have a different task. I have a task that's been assigned to me to do something on behalf of these people. A certain oversight. And so these garments, they do communicate the seriousness of worshiping the holy God, but they also communicate the responsibilities of the priest in worshiping God. The priests are dressed and ready to enter the tabernacle, but what are they doing when they enter in in these garments, these holy garments? What are they doing? They're representing Israel to God. They are serving as Israel's delegate to Yahweh. That's what they're doing. And that's what the ephod and the breastpiece communicate. It says over and over again, you probably heard this, tried to emphasize it when I was reading it, they bear the name, bear the name. They're bearing the names of Israel on their clothing, all the tribes of Israel, right? And so they're walking in there as representatives of Israel, as we would have ambassadors or delegates to another country. They hold all the names of Israel, and they're walking in there. Instead of all Israel walking to the tabernacle, the priest, with their names on them, walks in there as their representative, as their delegate, as their intermediary. He wears the names on his shoulders and his heart. And that this is to bring a remembrance to the Lord, not as if the Lord has forgotten any of their names, these stones, but it's conveying that symbolically the priest is presenting these names to God to bring remembrance to them, to God, as an offering in some form. And so this is the responsibility of the priest, is that he's walking into the most holy place, bearing their names as a representative on their behalf, as God has prescribed it. He's walking in there as their intercessor. This morning, like we've already said, we don't need a mediatrix, a mediator, an intermediary, whatever. Is that we have one who has gone into the most holy place on our behalf behind the curtain, and he has bore our names. If you remember that song before the throne of God above, is that our names are graven in his hands. Our names are, anybody remember the next line? Written on his heart. The priest, the high priest, Christ our high priest, goes in with our names on His hands and on His heart as our representative. We had a representative who was Adam from the beginning. And by his representation, we all got a really bad flaw. Sin. This is Paul's point in Romans 5, 18-19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's Adam as our representative, what did that get us? condemnation for all of us because of sin but one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men christ our representative and his righteous life going before us brought us righteousness and justification and made us righteous for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners that's adam being our representative he sinned so we sin so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous christ represents us and now we get his righteousness that is our representative. This morning, we still have a representative in Christ Jesus. First John two one tells us this: "Little children, I write these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a representative, an intermediary, a mediator with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's him." This chapter has been all about being rightly clothed to enter God's presence. If clothed rightly, if the priest follows the prescriptions of the garments, he will be accepted by God, allowed to enter into his presence and bear the names of Israel. But if not properly clothed, like one would have with radiation, if they're not properly clothed, it's going to kill them. If a priest is not properly clothed when he enters into the tabernacle, it will cost him his life. Jesus talks about a similar story with the kingdom in Matthew 22. If you remember the, the great wedding banquet, right? He invites all these people and does any of them come? Nobody comes. And then they just start pulling people off the streets, inviting them, and they, people go and get, go home and get ready for the banquet, and they walk in and they're that are accepted, but then there's one guy who walks in there thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm just going to casually walk in here. I ain't got to get dressed for this thing. I can be in my PJs and all that. Like, and that's basically saying he disrespects the host for his invitation because he's not properly clothed. And what happens to that man? He gets thrown out, thrown out, tied up and thrown out. And Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. The man was not properly clothed. He thought that he could just enter into the great wedding banquet, disrespect the people there, disrespect the host and who it was for, and didn't have to care or be concerned about what he wore. And that may have cost him his life. This morning, you have the same question. How must you be clothed to enter God's presence? Are you properly clothed right now to enter into His holy presence? Where can you get the right clothes? church to enter into the presence of God one must be clothed with holiness and righteousness as Hebrews 12 14 says strive for peace and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord to enter into the tabernacle the temple the new heavens the new earth the kingdom you must have holiness you must have the garments of holiness and righteousness And this morning, there is nowhere that you can buy that. There is nowhere that you can achieve that. There is nowhere that you can earn that. There is no way that you can get the proper clothing to enter into the kingdom. It can only come through Christ saying, here are my robes of righteousness. Put them on. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Kill it. Put it to death. Take on my righteousness, and you will be invited in and welcomed into the kingdom. Take me and my garments. For I have purchased your holiness with my own blood this morning. Are you ready to enter to the kingdom? Have you been properly clothed? If you do not, I pray right now and I plead with you, put on the robes of Christ's righteousness. Only through Him can you enter into the kingdom, His most holy place. Let's pray. God, we love You and we thank You that in Christ we have all that we need Holiness, righteousness, truth, love, grace, forgiveness and this morning I pray that we would all we would all put on Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning for any in here who has heard your word that God that they would not try and suppress it, they would not try to find garments in another place, whether that be Good works, whether that be trying better and trying harder. We need the righteousness that only comes through Christ. This morning, I pray for those who are in Christ already, that they would rest in that fact and that they would continually put to death sin and clothe themselves with the righteousness of Christ by being conformed to his image. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.